Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 48 Of what befell Don Quixote with a worthy gentleman of La Mancha. While thus discoursing, they were overtaken by a gentleman, mounted on a fine mare, and dressed in a green cloth riding coat faced with mirror-colored velvet, and a hunter's cap of the same, the mare's furniture corresponded in color with his dress, and was adapted to field sports, a Moorish scimitar hung at his shoulder belt, which was green and gold, his buskins were wrought like the belt, and his spurs were green, not gilt, but green, and polished so neatly that, as they suited his clothes, they looked better than if they had been of pure gold. He saluted them courteously, and, spurring his mare, was passed on, when Don Quixote said to him, If you are traveling our road, senor, and are not in haste, Will you favor us with your company? Indeed, senor, replied he, I should not have passed on, but I was afraid your horse might prove unruly in the company of mine. Sir, answered Sancho, if that be all, you may set your mind at rest on that score, for ours is the soberest and best behaved horse in the world, and was never guilty of a roguish trick in his life, but once, and then my master and I pay for it sevenfold. The traveler upon this checked his mare, his curiosity being excited by the appearance of Don Quixote, who rode without his helmet, which Sancho carried at the pommel of his ass's panel, but if he stared at Don Quixote, he was himself surveyed with no less attention by the knight, who conceived him to be some person of consequence. His age seemed to be about fifty, Though he had but few gray hairs, his face was of the aquiline form of a countenance neither too gain nor too grave, and by his whole exterior it was evident that he was no ordinary person. It was not less manifest that the traveler, as he contemplated Don Quixote, thought he had never seen anything like him before. With wonder he gazed upon his tall person, his meager sallow visage, his lank horse, his armor and stately deportment altogether presenting a figure like which nothing, for many centuries past, had been seen in that country. Don Quixote perceived that he had attracted the attention of the traveler, and being the pink of courtesy, 
and always desirous of pleasing, he anticipated his questions by saying, you are probably surprised, senor, at my appearance, which is certainly uncommon in the present age, but this will be explained when I tell you that I am a knight in search of adventures. I left my country, mortgaged my estate, quitted ease and pleasures, and threw myself into the arms of fortune. I wished to revive chivalry, so long deceased, and, for some time past, exposed to many vicissitudes, stumbling in one place, and rising again in another, I have prosecuted my design, succoring widows, protecting damsels, eating wives and orphans all the natural and proper duties of knights errant. And thus, by many valorous and Christian exploits, I have acquired the deserved honor of being in print throughout all, or most of, the nations in the world. 30,000 copies are already published of my history, and, heaven permitting, 30,000 thousands more are likely to be printed. Finally, to sum up all in a single word, know that I am Don Quixote de la Mancha, otherwise called the Knight of the Sorrowful Figure. Though self-praise depreciates, I am compelled sometimes to pronounce my own commendations, but it is only when no friend is present to perform that office for me. And now, my worthy sir, that you know my profession and who I am, you will cease to wonder at my appearance. After an interval of silence, the traveler in green said, in reply, you are indeed right, senor, in conceiving me to be struck by your appearance, but you have rather increased than lessened my wonder by the accounts you give of yourself. How? Is it possible that there are knights here and now in the world, and that there are histories printed of real chivalries? I had no idea that there was any body now upon earth who relieved widows, succored damsels, heated wives, or protected orphans, nor should yet have believed it had I not been convinced with my own eyes. Thank heaven, the history you mention must surely cast into oblivion all the fables of imaginary knights errant, which abound, much to the detriment of good morals and the prejudice and neglect of genuine history. There is much to be said, answered Don Quixote, upon the question of the truth or fiction of the histories of knights errant. Why, is there anyone, answered he in green, who doubts the falsehood of those histories? I doubt it, replied Don Quixote, but no more of that at present, for if we travel together much farther, I hope to convince you, sir, that you have been wrong in suffering yourself to be carried in the stream with those who cavil at their truth. The traveler now first began to suspect the state of his companion's intellects and watched for a further confirmation of his suspicion, but before they entered into any other discourse, Don Quixote said that, since he had so freely described himself, he hoped he might be permitted to ask who he was. To which the traveler answered, I, Sir Knight, am a gentleman and native of a village where, if it please God, we shall dine today. My fortune is affluent and my name is Don Diego de Miranda. I spend my time with my wife, my children, and my friends. My diversions are hunting and fishing, but I keep neither hawks nor greyhounds, only some decoy partridges and a stout ferret. 
I have about six dozen of books, Spanish and Latin, some of history, and some of devotion, those of chivalry have not come over my threshold. Sometimes I eat with my neighbors and friends, and frequently I invite them, my table is neat and clean, and not parsimoniously furnished. I slander no one, nor do I listen to slander from others. I pry not into other men's lives, nor scrutinize their actions. I hear mass every day, I share my substance with the poor, making no parade of my good works, lest hypocrisy and vainglory, those insidious enemies of the human breast, should find access to mine. It is always my endeavor to make peace between those who are at variance. I am devoted to our blessed lady and ever trust in the infinite mercy of God our Lord. Sancho was very attended to the account of the gentleman's life, which appeared to him to be good and holy, and thinking that one of such a character must needs work miracles, he flung himself off his dapple, and running up to him, he laid hold of his right stirrup, then, devoutly and almost with tears, he kissed his feet more than once. What mean you by this, brother, said the gentleman, why these embraces? Your worship, said Sancho, is the first saint on horseback I ever saw in all my life. I am no saint, answered the gentleman, but a great sinner. You, my friend, must indeed be good, as your simplicity proves. Sancho retired and mounted his ass again, having forced a smile from the profound gravity of his master and caused fresh astonishment in Don Diego. Don Quixote then asked him how many children he had, at the same time observing that the ancient philosophers, being without the knowledge of the true God, held supreme happiness to subsist in the gifts of nature and fortune in having many friends and many good children. I have one son, answered the gentleman, and if I had him not, perhaps I should think myself happier, not that he is bad, but because he is not all that I would have him. He is 18 years old, six of which he has spent at Salamanca, learning the Latin and Greek languages, and when I wished him to proceed to other studies, I found him infatuated with poetry and could not prevail upon him to look into the law, which it was my desire he should study, nor into theology, the queen of all sciences. I was desirous that he should be an honor to his family, since we live in an age in which useful and virtuous literature is rewarded by the sovereign, I say virtuous, for letters without virtue or pearls on a dunghill. He passes whole days in examining whether Homer expressed himself well in such a verse of the Iliad, whether such a line in Virgil should be understood this or that way. In a word, all his conversation is with those and other ancient poets for the modern Spanish authors he holds in no esteem. At the same time, in spite of the contempt he seems to have for Spanish poetry, his thoughts are at this very time entirely engrossed by a paraphrase on four verses sent him from Salamanca, and which, I believe, is intended for a scholastic prize. Children, my good sir, replied Don Quixote, are the flesh and blood of their parents, and whether good or bad, must be loved and cherished as part of themselves. It is the duty of parents to train them up, 
from their infancy in the paths of virtue and good manners and in Christian discipline so that they may become the staff of their age and an honor to their posterity. As to forcing them to this or that pursuit, I do not hold it to be right, though I think there is a propriety in advising them, and when the student is so fortunate as to have an inheritance and therefore not compelled to study for his subsistence, I should be for indulging him in the pursuit of that science to which his genius is most inclined, and although that of poetry be less useful than delightful, it does not usually reflect disgrace on its votaries. With regard to your son's contempt for Spanish poetry, I think he is therein to blame. The great Homer, being a Greek, did not write in Latin, nor did Virgil, who was a Roman, write in Greek. In fact, all the ancient poets wrote in the language of their native country and did not hunt after foreign tongues to express their own sublime conceptions. If your son write personal satires, chide him and tear his performances, but if he writes like Horace, reprehending vice in general, commend him, for it is laudable in a poet to employ his pen in a virtuous cause. Let him direct the shafts of satire against vice in all its various forms, but not level them at individuals, like some who, rather than not indulge their mischievous wit, will hazard a disgraceful banishment to the Isles of Pontus. If the poet be correct in his morals, his verse will partake of the same purity, the pen is the tongue of the mind, and what his conceptions are, such will be his productions. The gentleman hearing Don Quixote express himself in this manner was struck with so much admiration that he began to lose the bad opinion he had conceived of his understanding. As for Sancho, who did not much relish this fine talk, he took an opportunity to slink aside in the middle of it and went to get a little milk of some shepherds that were hard by keeping their sheep. Now when the gentleman was going to renew his discourse, Mightily pleased with these judicious observations, Don Quixote, lifting up his eyes, perceived a wagon on the road, set round with little flags that appeared to be the king's colors, and believing it to be some new adventure, he called out to Sancho to bring him his helmet. Sancho, hearing him call aloud, left the shepherds, and clapping his heels vigorously to Dapple's sides, soon came trotting up to his master. Chapter 49 Where you will find set forth the highest proof that Don Quixote ever gave, or could give, of his courage with the successful issue of the adventure of the lions. They were now overtaken by the wagon, which was attended only by the driver mounted on one of the mules and another man that sat on the fore part of it. Don Quixote making up to them, Whither go ye, friends, said he. What wagon is this? What do you convey in it? And what is the meaning of these colors? The wagon is mine, answered the wagoner. I have there two brave lions, which the general of Oran is sending to the king, and these colors are to let the people understand that what goes here belongs to him. Are the lions large? Very large, answered the man in the fore part of the wagon, bigger never came from Africa. I am their keeper and have had charge of several others, 
but I never saw the like of these before. In the foremost cage is a lion and in the other a lioness. By this time they are cruelly hungry for they have not eaten today. Therefore, pray, good sir, ride out of the way for we must make haste to get to the place where we are to feed them. What? said Don Quixote with a scornful smile, lion whops against me. And at this time of day? Well, I will make those gentlemen that sent their lions this way know whether I am a man to be scared with lions. Get off, honest fellow, and since you are the keeper, open their cages and let them both out, for, in despite of those enchanters that have sent them to try me, I will make the creatures know, in the midst of this very field, who Don Quixote de la Mancha is. While he was making this speech, Sancho came up to Don Diego and begged him to dissuade his master from his rash attempt. Oh, good dear sir, cried he, for pity's sake, hinder my master from falling upon these lions by all means, or we shall be torn in pieces. Why, said the gentleman, is your master so errant a madman, then, that you should fear he would set upon such furious beasts? Ah, sir, said Sancho, he is not mad, but terribly venturesome. Well, replied the gentleman, I will take care there shall be no harm done, and with that, coming up to the Don, who was urging the lion keeper to open the cage, sir, said he, knights errant ought to engage in adventures from which there may be some hope of coming off with safety, but not in such as are altogether desperate, for courage which borders on temerity is more like madness than true fortitude. Besides, these lions are not come against you, but sent as a present to the king, and therefore it is not your duty to detain them or stop the wagon. Pray, sweet sir, replied Don Quixote, go and amuse yourself with your tame partridges and your ferrets, and leave every one to his own business. This is mine, and I know best whether these worthy lions are sent against me or no. Then turning about to the keeper, Sarah, said he, open your cages immediately, or I will certainly pin thee to the wagon with this lance. Good sir, cried the wagoner, seeing this strange apparition in armor so resolute, for mercy's sake, do but let me take out our meals first, and get out of harm's way with them as fast as I can, before the lions get out, for if they should once set upon the poor beasts, I should be undone forever, for, alas, that cart and they are all I have in the world to give a living with. Thou man of small faith, said Don Quixote, take them up quickly then, and go with them where thou wilt, though thou shalt presently see that thy precaution was needless, and thou mightest have spared thy pains. The wagoner on this made all the haste he could to take out his mules, while the keeper cried out, Bear witness, all ye that are here present, that it is against my will that I open the cages and let loose the lions, and that I protest to this gentleman here that he shall be answerable for all the mischief they may do, together with the loss of my salary and fees. And now, sirs, shift for yourselves as fast as you can before I open the cages, for, as for myself, I know the lions will do me no harm. Once more the gentleman tried to dissuade Don Quixote from doing so mad a thing, 
telling him that he tempted heaven in exposing himself without reason to so great a danger. To this Don Quixote made no other answer but that he knew what he had to do. Consider, however, what you do, replied the gentleman, for it is most certain that you are mistaken. Well, sir, said Don Quixote, if you care not to be spectator of an action which you think is likely to be a tragedy, put spurs to your mare and provide for your safety. Sancho, hearing this, came up to his master with tears in his eyes and begged him not to go about this fearful undertaking to which the adventure of the windmills and the fulling mills and all the brunts he had ever borne in his life were but children's play. Could your worship, cried he, do but mind, here is no enchantment in the case, nor anything like it. Alackaday, sir, I peeped even now through the grates of the cage, and I am sure I saw the claw of a true lion, and such a claw as makes me think the lion that owns it must be as big as a mountain. Alas, poor fellow, said Don Quixote, thy fear will make him as big as half the world. Retire, Sancho, and leave me, and if I chance to fall here, thou knowest our old agreement, repair to Dulcinea and say no more. To this he added some expressions which cut off all hopes of his giving over his mad design. The gentleman in green would have opposed him, but considering the other much better armed, and that it was not prudence to encounter a madman, he even took the opportunity, while Don Quixote was storming at the keeper, to march off with his mare, as Sancho did with Dapple, and the carter with his mules, every one making the best of his way to get as far as he could from the wagon before the lions were let loose. Poor Sancho at the same time made sad lamentations for his master's death, for he gave him up for lost, not doubting but that the lions had already got him into their clutches. He cursed his ill fortune, and the hour he came again to his service, but for all his wailing and lamenting, he urged on poor Dapple to get as far as he could from the lions. The keeper, perceiving the persons who fled to be at a good distance, fell to arguing and entreating Don Quixote as he had done before. But the knight told him again that all his reasons and entreaties were but in vain and bid him say no more, but immediately dispatch. Now while the keeper took time to open the foremost cage, Don Quixote stood debating with himself whether he had best make his attack on foot or on horseback, and upon mature deliberation he resolved to do it on foot, lest Rosinante, not used to lions, should be put into disorder. Accordingly, he quitted his horse, threw aside his lance, grasped his shield, and drew his sword, then advancing with a deliberate motion and an undaunted heart, he posted himself just before the door of the cage, commending himself to heaven and afterwards to his lady. The keeper observing that it was not possible for him to prevent letting out the lions without incurring the resentment of the desperate knight, set the door of the foremost cage wide open, where, as I have said, the lion lay, who appeared of a monstrous size and of a frightful aspect. The first thing he did was to turn himself round in his cage, in the next place he stretched out one of his paws, put forth his claws, and roused himself. After that he gaped and yawned for a good while, 
and shoot his dreadful fangs, and then thrust out half a yard of tongue, and with it licked the dust from his face. Having done this, he thrust his head quite out of the cage, and stared about with his eyes that looked like two live coals of fire, a sight and motion enough to have struck terror into temerity itself. But Don Quixote only regarded it with attention, wishing his grim adversary would leap out of his hold and come within his reach that he might exercise his valor and cut the monster piecemeal. To this height of extravagance had his folly transported him, but the generous lion, more gentle than arrogant, taking no notice of his vaporing and bravados, after he had looked about him a while, turned his back upon the knight and very contentedly lay down again in his apartment. Don Quixote, seeing this, commanded the keeper to rouse him with his pole and force him out whether he would or no. Not I, indeed, sir, answered the keeper, I dare not do it for my life, for if I provoke him, I am sure to be the first he will tear to pieces. Let me advise you, sir, to be satisfied with your day's work. Tis as much as the bravest that wears a head can pretend to do. Then pray go no farther, I beseech you, the door stands open, the lion is at his choice whether he will come out or no. You have waited for him, you see he does not care to look you in the face, and since he did not come out at the first, I dare engage he will not stir out this day. You have shown enough the greatness of your courage, the scandal is his, the honor the challengers. Tis true replied Don Quixote. Come, shut the cage door, honest friend, and give me a certificate under thy hand in the amplest form thou canst devise of what thou hast seen me perform while I make signs to those that ran away from us and get them to come back that they may have an account of this exploit from thy own mouth. The keeper obeyed, and Don Quixote, clapping a handkerchief on the point of his lance, waited in the ear and called as loud as he was able to the fugitives who fled nevertheless, looking behind them all the way, and trooped on in a body with the gentleman in green at the head of them. At last Sancho observed the signal and called out, Hold, my master calls, I will be hanged if he has not got the better of the lions. At this they all faced about and perceived Don Quixote flourishing his ensign Whereupon recovering a little from their fright, they leisurely rode back till they could plainly distinguish his voice. As soon as they were got near the wagon, come on, friend, said he to the carter, put to thy mules again, and pursue thy journey, and, Sancho, do thou give him two ducats for the lion keeper and himself, to make them amends for the time I have detained them. I, that I will with all my heart, quoth Sancho, but what has become of the lions? Are they dead or alive? Then the keeper very formally related the whole action, not failing to exaggerate, to the best of his skill, Don Quixote's courage, how, at his sight alone, the lion was so terrified that he neither would nor durst quit his stronghold, though for that end his cage door was kept open for a considerable time, and how at length, upon his remonstrating to the knight who would have had the lion forced out, that it was presuming too much upon heaven, he had permitted, 
but with great reluctancy, that the lion should be shot up again. Well, Sancho, said Don Quixote to his squire, what dost thou think of this? Can enchantment prevail over true fortitude? No, these magicians may rob me of success, but never of my invincible greatness of mind. Sancho gave the wagoner and the keeper the two pieces. The first harnessed his mules, and the last thanked Don Quixote for his bounty and promised to acquaint the king himself with his heroic action when he went to court. Well, said Don Quixote, if his majesty should chance to inquire who the person was that did this thing, tell him it was the Knight of the Lions, a name I intend henceforth to take up, in place of that which I have hitherto borne, in which proceeding I do but conform to the ancient custom of knights errant, who changed their names as often as they pleased, or as it suited with their advantage. Don Quixote now addressed Don Diego. Without doubt, sir, said he, you take me for a downright madman, and, indeed, my actions may seem to speak me no less. But for all that, give me leave to tell you, I am not so mad, nor is my understanding so defective, as you may fancy. Let me remind you that every knight has his particular employment. Let the courtier wait on the ladies, let him with splendid equipage adorn his prince's court, and with a magnificent table support poor gentlemen. Let him give birth to feasts and tournaments, and shew his grandeur, and liberality, and munificence, and especially his piety, in all these things he fulfills the duties of his station. But as for the knight errant, let him search into all the corners of the world, enter into the most intricate labyrinths, and every hour be ready to attempt impossibility itself. Let him in desolate wilds baffle the rigor of the weather, the scorching heat of the sun's fiercest beams, and the inclemency of winds and snow. Let lions never fright him, dragons daunt him, nor evil spirits deter him. To go in quest of these, to meet, to dare, to conflict, and to overcome them all is his principle and proper office. Well, I know that valor is a virtue situate between the two vicious extremes of cowardice and temerity. But certainly it is not so ill for a valiant man to rise to a degree of rashness as it is to fall short and border upon cowardice. For as it is easier for a prodigal to become liberal than a miser, so it is easier for the hardy and rash person to be reduced to true bravery than the coward ever to rise to that virtue. And therefore, in thus attempting adventures, believe me, Senor Don Diego, it is better to exceed the bounds a little and overdo rather than underdo the thing, because it sounds better in people's ears to hear it said how that such a knight is rash and hardy than such a knight is dastardly and timorous. All you have said and done, answered Don Diego, is agreeable to the exactest rules of reason, and I believe if the laws and ordinances of knight-errantry were lost, they might be all recovered from you, your breasts seeming to be the safe repository and archive where they are lodged. But it grows late, let us make a little more haste to get to our village and to my habitation, where you may rest yourself after the fatigues which doubtless you have sustained, if not in body, 
at least in mind, whose pains often afflict the body too. Sir, answered Don Quixote, I esteem your offer as a singular favor. And so, proceeding a little faster than they had done before, about two in the afternoon they reached the village and got to the house of Don Diego, whom now Don Quixote called the Knight of the Green Coat. Chapter 50 how Don Quixote was entertained at the castle or house of the Knight of the Green Coat with other extraordinary matters. Don Quixote found that Don Diego de Miranda's house was spacious after the country manor, the arms of the family were over the gate and rough stone, the buttery in the foreyard, the cellar under the porch, and all around several great jars of the sort commonly made at Toboso, the sight of which bringing to his remembrance his enchanted and transformed Dulcinea, he heaved a deep sigh, and neither minding what he said nor who was by, broke out into the following exclamation. O ye Tobotian urns, that awaken in my mind the thoughts of the sweet pledge of my most bitter sorrows. Don Diego's son, who, as it has been said, was a student and poetically inclined, heard these words as he came with his mother to welcome him home, and, as well as she, was not a little surprised to see what a strange being his father had brought with him. Don Quixote alighted from Rosinante, and very courteously desiring to kiss her ladyship's hands, Madam, said Don Diego, this gentleman is the noble Don Quixote de la Mancha, the wisest and most valiant knight errant in the world, pray let him find a welcome suitable to his merit and your usual civility. Thereupon Donna Cristina, for that was the lady's name, received him very kindly and with great marks of respect, to which Don Quixote made a proper and handsome return, and then almost the same compliments passed between him and the young gentleman whom Don Quixote judged by his words to be a man of wit and sense. While the knight was unarming, Don Lorenzo had leisure to talk with his father about him. Pray, sir, said he, who is this gentleman you have brought with you? Considering his name, his aspect, and the title of knight errant which you give him, neither my mother nor I know what to think of him. Truly, answered Don Diego, I do not know what to say to you, all that I can inform you of is, that I have seen him play the maddest pranks in the world, and yet say a thousand sensible things that contradict his actions. But discourse with him yourself, and feel the pulse of his understanding, make use of your sense to judge of his, though, to tell you the truth, I believe his folly exceeds his discretion. Don Lorenzo then went to entertain Don Quixote, and after some discourse had passed between them, Sir, said the knight, I am not wholly a stranger to your merit, Don Diego de Miranda, your father, has given me to understand you are a person of excellent parts, and especially a great poet. Sir, answered the young gentleman, I may, perhaps, pretend to poetry, but never to be a great poet. It is true, I am somewhat given to rhyming and love to read good authors, but I am very far from deserving to be thought one of their number. I do not mislike your modesty, replied Don Quixote. It is a virtue not often found among poets, for almost every one of them thinks himself the greatest in the world. 
There is no rule without an exception, said Don Lorenzo, and it is not impossible but there may be one who may deserve the name, though he does not think so himself. That is very unlikely, replied Don Quixote. But pray, sir, tell me what verses are those that your father says you are so puzzled about? If it should be what we call a gloss or a paraphrase, I understand something of that way of writing and should be glad to see it. If the composition be designed for a poetical prize, I would advise you only to put in for the second, for the first always goes by favor and is rather granted to the great quality of the author than to his merit, but as to the next, it is adjudged to the most deserving, so that the third may in a manner be esteemed the second, and the first no more than the third, according to the methods used in our universities of giving degrees. And yet, after all, it is no small matter to gain the honor of being called the first. Hitherto all is well, thought Don Lorenzo to himself, I cannot think thee mad yet, let us go on. With that, addressing himself to Don Quixote, sir, said he, you seem to me to have frequented the schools, pray what science has been your particular study? That of knight errantry, answered Don Quixote, which is as good as that of poetry, and somewhat better too. I do not know what sort of a science that is, said Don Lorenzo, nor indeed did I ever hear of it before. It is a science, answered Don Quixote, that includes in itself all the other sciences in the world, or at least the greatest part of them. Whoever professes it ought to be learned in the laws and understand distributive and commutative justice in order to right all mankind. He ought to be a divine to give a reason of his faith and vindicate his religion by dint of argument. He ought to be skilled in physic, especially in the botanic part of it, that he may know the nature of simples and have recourse to those herbs that can cure wounds for a night errand must not expect to find surgeons in the woods and deserts. He must be an astronomer to understand the motions of the celestial orbs and find out by the stars the hour of the night and the longitude and latitude of the climate on which fortune throws him and he ought to be well instructed in all the other parts of the mathematics that science being of constant use to a professor of arms on many accounts too numerous to be related. I need not tell you that all the divine and moral virtues must center in his mind. To descend to less material qualifications, he must be able to swim like a fish, know how to shoe a horse, mend a saddle or bridle, and, returning to higher matters, he ought to be inviolably devoted to heaven and his lady, chaste in his thoughts, modest in words, and liberal and valiant in deeds, patient in afflictions, charitable to the poor, and finally, a maintainer of truth, though it cost him his life to defend it. These are the endowments to constitute a good knight errant, and now, sir, be you a judge, whether the professors of chivalry have an easy task to perform, and whether such a science may not stand in competition with the most celebrated and best of those that are taught in colleges? If it be so, answered Don Lorenzo, I say it deserves the preeminence over all other sciences. What do you mean, sir, by that, if it be so, cried Don Quixote.
I mean, sir, cried Don Lorenzo, that I doubt whether there are now or ever were any knights errant, especially with so many rare accomplishments. This makes good what I have often said, answered Don Quixote. Most people will not be persuaded there ever were any knights errant in the world. Now, sir, because I verily believe that unless heaven will work some miracle to convince them that there have been and still a knight's errand, those incredulous persons are too much wedded to their opinion to admit such a belief, I will not now lose time to endeavor to let you see how much you and they are mistaken. All I design to do is only to beseech heaven to convince you of your being in an error, that you may see how useful knights errant were in former ages and the vast advantages that would result in ours from the assistance of men of that profession. But now effeminacy, sloth, luxury, and ignoble pleasure triumph for the punishment of our sins. Now, said Lorenzo to himself, our gentleman has already betrayed his blind side, but yet he gives a color of reason to his extravagance, and I were a fool to think otherwise. Here they were called to dinner, which ended the discourse, and at that time Don Diego, taking his son aside, asked him what he thought of the stranger. I think, sir, said Don Lorenzo, that it is not in the power of all the physicians in the world to cure his distemper. He is mad past recovery, but yet he has lucid intervals. In short, they dined, and their entertainment proved such as the old gentleman had told the knight he used to give his guests neat plentiful and well-ordered. But that which Don Quixote most admired was the extraordinary silence he observed through the whole house as if it had been a monastery of Carthusians.